I remember the very first time I hopped on the boat was the first time these guys had sailed the boat and we had to reach out between these two reefs in Bermuda and it was quite windy and I was just thinking this feels really really loose I hope I hope they've got this under control definitely like the coolest feeling is the bear aways yeah the g-forces there is unreal <laughs> you gotta hold on <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a really exciting time to be in women's sport in general, but particularly in sailing at the moment. There's a lot of opportunities, which is something I guess we haven't really seen before. I think it, it's time, you know, it's time we got these opportunities. And what I'm hoping is this is going to create a whole lot more women and girls pushing us and making a much bigger pool of, of people. And hopefully it's going to be 50-50 and <laughs> across the board, you know, and um, the numbers. It was sore, but I thought that it was just, I'd been hit by the rudder before and I thought it was just going to be bruised, like quite bad bruising. That was a massive shock when they told me. It was incredibly heartbreaking at the time. I didn't know what it meant. All I knew was that it was five weeks until the start of the Olympics and traditionally it takes six weeks to heal a bone. It's fair to say Erica Dawson has had a big year in 2021 for a number of different reasons. You'll remember she broke her leg in a training accident only five weeks before the Tokyo Olympics, but made a speedy recovery to take her place alongside Michael Wilkinson in the NACRA 17. She also joined the New Zealand Sail GP team and made history when she became the first Kiwi woman to compete in the high octane sailing circuit. Erica reflects on the last 18 months, the highs and the lows. She talks about what it was like to be selected for the Olympics, only to go through the uncertainty of not knowing if she'd actually get to go and compete, how she coped with breaking her leg in the lead up to the games, and what her experience was actually like in Japan. She also delves into the life on the Sail GP tour, and what it's like to sail on the foiling catamarans. Erica is also an advocate for women's sailing, and played a leading hand in the development of Yachting New Zealand's Women and Girls in Sailing strategy, and talks in this podcast about what she'd like to see over the next few years. Erica is a young woman who is fun, focused and fast, and knows what she wants to achieve in the sport. It was good to get an insight into her world and how she's dealt with both successes and knockbacks. It was really interesting chatting to her as she reflected on her career so far, so I hope you enjoy this episode of Broadreach Radio. <music> Joining us on the show today is Erica Dawson. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you too because it's quite an exciting day because earlier today it was announced that New Zealand would be hosting a round of the SailGP for four years starting in 2023. You've got your SailGP t-shirt on there, so obviously a member of the New Zealand SailGP team. So what was it like to hear that news? Yeah, I think it's super exciting for New Zealand, um, both Christchurch and Auckland, where the events will be held and you know also for us as a team to be able to 
showcase this event at home in front of our family and friends and supporters and um, yeah I just I think the Kiwis are really going to get behind it it's pretty epic to watch well, we look forward to seeing that but there's also another round of Sale GP in Sydney next weekend are you heading over? Uh, no I'm not going to that one um, Liv's part of the Women's Pathway program for that event so I'll be watching and supporting from here <laughs> Couldn't face another stint in MIQ, huh? Uh, yeah, I have done a few MIQs by now, so <laughs> wouldn't be excited for another one. How many is that now? Uh, four. <laughs> Two months of my life. <laughs> that is a solid stint. But it's also probably a good indicator, I guess, of your last 18 months, really, because it's been hectic uh, for you. And it's one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on Broadreach Radio, because there's lots to talk about how do you kind of look back on those 18 months? Yeah, it's been hectic, but also it's been really, really cool. You know, I've achieved some goals that I'd only ever dreamed of. Um, I've, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else right now. So, yeah, it's really, really cool. Well, let's start with the Sale GP because that's front and centre right now. Uh, and in October, you became the first New Zealand woman to race in the Sale GP. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was it was epic. Um, I think when the boats actually get racing, like everything is just so much more fast paced than in training. And you know, I think being chucked in the deep end and having you know roles and responsibilities, I think that you learn so much more than just in training. And um, yeah, it was it was a really cool experience and awesome to share with all the other women who are also racing for their first time. What was your role on the boat? So I was in sixth position um, on the windy day, which is you're basically at the back. I was steering out of manoeuvres, um, looking out for other boats and looking for pressure and that sorts of thing, being another set of eyes on the boat. And on the first day when it was lighter, we were four up and I was in the grinding position. So trimming the, grinding the wing and also taking on a bit of the jib trim which was really cool because you learn a whole other part of the boat um, that, you know, previously when I was on the back, I had never, you know, touched those controls or been able to see the sail from that angle. It was, um, yeah, I think I learned a lot in the training and the racing doing that. So if memory serves me right, you won the first race that you were involved in, right? So it was down to uh, you. First race of the second day, the windy day. So, yeah. Down to was, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, I, I don't think so, but um, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mentioned the fact that you're the first Kiwi woman to be involved in, in the Sail GP. So how aware were you of, you know, creating history? Yeah, I I don't know. I guess because we'd been, or both Liv and I have been part of the team, like, since Bermuda, it's it kind of just felt like another another step in the right direction and I think the future for Sail GP is really really exciting and I think that you know yes it was significant but I also think it's on it's just a another you know journey on the road and it's going to get bigger and it's going to get better so yeah it was, it was really really cool. So what's it like having eight boats screaming around a course at close to 50 knots particularly I'm guessing that first mark rounding? Yeah it's hectic um particularly I think when I'm on the back and I you know you've just got full faith in the guys sailing the boat um you know you're you're in their hands and you don't really have the control so it's a really interesting feeling and 
it's yeah the the speed and being so close to the other boats is like yeah yeah it's it's very intense <laughs> is there ever an an element of fear for sure like at times you're 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 fearful but like I said before, you just kind of have to trust your team and, you know, everyone's just doing their best job and if everyone works together, then you'll stay on my pace. <laughs> so you and Liv Mackay were selected as the first female members of New Zealand Sailor GP team. So, so what made you want to apply in the first place? I guess I've, I've followed the season right from the outset and actually Marie Rue was the first woman <laughs> racing on the boats for France and I guess seeing her racing and flight control that was definitely served as a bit of inspiration for me and I thought you know that's something that I would absolutely love to to kind of get to one day so when this opportunity came up to apply for the women's program I definitely jumped at it and was like yep <laughs> how can I get involved <laughs> I'm guessing it felt pretty familiar you know you had the likes of Peter Burling, Blair Chuk, Andy Maloney, Josh Jr you know guys that you've been alongside at Olympic class regattas how has that helped and how's what's it like sort of being in a bigger team environment yeah I guess you know we all know each other really well um, through the Olympic sailing and also you know they've sailed in cup teams together so you kind of it was very seamless kind of joining or being part of that team. Um, everyone gets on so well. Everyone has the same, you know, ambition and drive and is working towards the same goals. And, yeah, I think they've been great, um, I guess, mentors as well for Liv and I. You know, that you, you feel like no, no question is too silly to ask because there is a lot that, particularly at the beginning, that kind of went over my head and being able, comfortable to just ask questions and, um, yeah, everyone's really happy to just answer them or, you know, we joined the team when it was new, so they had silly questions themselves and, and we're all trying to figure it out together. So I think it was actually really special being part of it when the team started itself. Yeah. yeah definitely good timing. So you went to that first event of the year in Bermuda, um, helping out, I think, with data analysis. You know, what sort of things would you be feeding back to the team? Yeah, so we've got iPads and phones on the on the coach boat that we're always comparing the different, um, say, the fast boats at it, at the time and compared to the Kiwis, and we're seeing what sort of settings they're running. And this is kind of the stuff that's critical for the for the guys sailing to um, to know, and particularly in Bermuda where they'd never raced this boat before. Yes, they'd sailed a. 50-foot catamaran in Bermuda, but it's set up totally different to what they, they were used to. And I think having that, that set of eyes to be able to feed back on the water was really, really important. And also taking notes for debriefing later in the day because the actual amount you get to sail is very limited in these boats and a lot of the learning actually comes from off the water in that analysis stage. Let's talk about that first experience sailing you know do you remember that and in, in the g-forces and, and the things that are sort of going on you know do you remember that that first experience i i remember the so our, the very first time i hopped on the boat was the first time these guys had sailed the boat and we had to reach out between these two reefs in bermuda and it was quite windy and i was just thinking this feels really really loose i hope i hope they've got this under control and you know they did they've they got through it and 
definitely like the coolest feeling is the bear aways. Like that's definitely when you hit your top speeds and yeah, the G forces there is unreal. <laughs> you gotta hold on. <laughs> is there anything to hold on to other than your your sheets and, and grind yeah. sticks? Yeah, you're just kinda like holding on to the, the your pod, <laughs> the size of the hull. Yeah. <laughs> Any crashes to speak of so far that you've been involved in? Actually, none have been too bad. We've had a few kind of yeah, touchwood, a few nose dives in that, um, and a few times I'm, I've tripped up and <laughs> fell over, um, but yeah, nothing bad. So you you talked about that data analysis and the debriefing and being part of that team. So how did I guess being immersed in that team environment has it helped you as a sailor generally? I think I think a lot of it. I've learned a lot, um, the whole data side, you know, you go into extreme detail, everything on the boat can be measured and compared and I think that actually that's going to be something I'll take to Olympic sailing now is, you know, how can we make more use of data analysis and there's some really cool technology that's coming out with that and yeah, so I think using that will be really cool. I think, you know, you analyse a lot of footage you, like I said earlier, the time on the boat is so limited that, you know, you're doing all this work outside of sailing and I think that your time on the water is so precious, it has to be super targeted. You know, we have these processes on the water where every minute of a four-hour sailing session has been decided before we go out, you know, you, we know exactly what we're working on, exactly what time we're on the rib, um, so I think there's a lot of lessons there that I'm going to take to my Olympic sailing as well and any, any other sailing I do going forward. Well, it's interesting you say any other sailing because, you know, there's a lot happening, I guess, in, in women's sailing right now. You know, and there's been a lot of talk about gender equity over the last couple of years. There's obviously been a, a lot of sort of positive moves. You know, we've got obviously the females in the sail GP, gender equity um, at the Olympics next time around and a women's America's Cup. So what have you sort of made of all these changes and moves over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it's a really exciting time to be, you know, in professional sailing and women's, I mean, in, in women's sport in general, but particularly in sailing at the moment. It's, there's a lot of opportunities, um, which is something I guess we haven't really seen before to this extent. So I think it it's time, you know, it's time we got these opportunities. And yeah, I think... What I'm hoping is this is going to create a whole lot more women and girls beneath us, like pushing us and um, just wide, like making a much bigger pool of, of people. And hopefully it's going to be 50-50 and <laughs> across the board, you know, and um, the numbers. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a really exciting time. Do you feel like you've come along at just the right time and, and you want to take advantage of these opportunities and, and do you see, I guess, a long-term future in the sport? Yeah, I think I think almost more now than ever I do see a long-term future in the sport. Um, you know, I'm very set on my Olympic goals right now um, and that's that's my number one. And um, But... I also think there are some really cool yeah, other opportunities in, in the other scenes. So definitely wanting to make the most of those as well. 
You've actually done quite a bit of work in, in female sailing, you know, having played a leading role in the development of Yachting New Zealand's Women and Girls in Sailing Strategy, which was released, what, a couple of years ago now. What were some of the major things that you found in that research that you did? Um, yeah, that was a really a cool experience for me, I guess, having been through it. And, you know, I talked to so many women and girls in, in, in an interview kind of process and there, there were, there's a number of reasons but I think that having more professional opportunities is definitely going to have a big trickle down effect you know if, if young girls can see you know pe- women reaching the highest levels of our sport then they're going to think why can't I do that as well you know if you see it you can believe it so I think that that's going to be massive um, yeah, and I just think like making sure people are, are doing it for the right reasons that that they want to be doing it. You know, whether it's whether they're really competitive like me, or whether they're doing it for the social side of sailing, and yeah, making sure that they they're getting that that need fulfilled. So yeah. What would you say to I guess any young girl listening? or parent of a young girl listening in terms of advice for them? I think we're lucky with setting that there are so many pathways and avenues you can choose and I think it's really important that young sailors find that path for them and and get a group of mates around them and you might just fall in love with the sport like I did. You know, I started with a really, really good group of friends and if you can progress through the classes together, I think that that's really, really critical. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you want something, then, you know, just go for it. And yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Indeed. So you're someone people look up to now. Do you see yourself as a, as a role model? Uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I mean, I'd hope to be. You know, I had some really good role models for me. Um, growing up and I think that if I can be that for others then that's really special and you know I, I hope that I'm, I'm open and people feel, like I'm approachable and people feel like they can come and ask me questions and you know just have a chat at the boat park or yeah so I'd, I'd like to be that for someone. Who are those role models for you? I think for me Joe Alley was a big one um you know, I remember watching her win gold medal with Polly and then, you know, she later became my coach and has shared so much of her, her knowledge with me and I really have appreciated that. And, yeah, so she's been massive for me. And then I also get really inspired by my peers, like, you know, Alex and Molly and, and Liv and I just think it's really cool to be, yeah, to have that within your, your close group as well. I guess some of that notoriety for you has come from the fact that you competed at, at this year's Tokyo Olympics. So it's, it's probably a good time to, to chat about that. You know, it's not your usual story. Um, you were selected for the New Zealand team in February 2020, um, just before the world was turned upside down by COVID. What was it like to be selected only for the Olympics to be postponed for 12 months, but with no guarantee it would go ahead? Yeah, I guess... At the time, it was a bit of a blow because we'd been on such a high from just being selected. 
But at the same time, I feel like Micah and I were a very fresh team and we also saw it as an opportunity to get a whole other year of training and racing and um, under our belt. So, yeah, I guess we saw it as an opportunity even though it felt pretty hard at the time. Yeah. Were there times when you thought it wasn't going to happen? Not really, to be honest. Like, I know there was a lot of chat about it, but we were so fixated on our goal that we were never in doubt. So, yeah. So how much had competing at an Olympics been a dream of yours growing up? You know, was it something that you thought about as a junior and, and youth sailor? It was definitely something I thought about, but I never sort of thought that I, I could do it until kind of my late teen or end of high school kind of years. And and that's kind of when, you know, I decided this, you know, this is something I really want to go after. Um, but yeah, it took... I didn't have it from when I was a 10-year-old like you hear <laughs> many of these other people. Yeah, I just loved sailing and happened to be good at it and just loved competing and, you know, going around New Zealand, going to different regattas and, yeah. So was there a moment when it sort of crystallised that actually this could be realistic for you? Yeah, I guess when I got into the FX class, I Ali Copeland and I sailed together and I remember at our first world championships together we're very fresh in the boat and we're very light in the boat as well so we love the light winds and I remember getting a second in the in the fleet racing and just being like whoa this is this is pretty cool like this is a brand new Olympic class and we just placed second in a race and you know I loved the FX and yeah we spent the next few years um, training really hard that was cool well we'll talk about the FX in a, in a minute but um, just backtrack slightly you know what was your background? How did you get into the sport? Yeah, so I used to go down to Murray's Bay Sailing Club as a, as a youngster when my brother was sailing. And my dad sailed, my uncle sailed. So it was it was a bit of a family sport. And I just, yeah, as soon as I saw my brother doing it, I just wanted to do it as well. <laughs> so I got on into it about the age of, I think, nine, nearly ten at Murray's Bay. Um, and followed a bit of a, a traditional kind of path in it, yeah. Yeah, but you did pretty well from a young age. You went to two Optimus World Championships and remained the only female to have ever won the Starling National Championships. Do you ever, I guess, reflect on that achievement? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, at that, I always had the goal of, of winning. That was kind of why I was doing it, and... That's just seemed like you know a regatta where everything kind of fell into place, and yeah, it is it is pretty cool being you know the first woman to to win it, and I hope I'm sure there's going to be more after me. So yeah, I think you know there's no reason why why we shouldn't be up there beating all the boys. <laughs> yeah, well, sailing's one of the only sports in which boys and girls compete against each other throughout their junior careers and. You know, and some young girls today say they love beating the boys. Was was it like that for you? Uh, yeah, like for sure. That was you always wanted to beat the boys, and I think I was really. I came in with a really strong group of girls, um, like my friend Naomi Mannering, who I travelled to both Optimus Worlds with, and you know we got second and third in Opti Nationals, and you know it was often you know in the podium, and it was just it's just normal. Like that's just what 
what we always aim to do and yeah it's just how it is so you then went to the 2010 420 World Championships, 2011 470 World Championships, 2012 470 Junior World Championships, and you were fifth, I think, at the 2012 Youth Worlds. Was that in a 420? Yeah, in the 420. So what would your ambitions have been at this stage of your, your sailing career? At that stage, I was, like, it was my, I was doing a number of sports at the time, you know, netball, strangely tap dancing <laughs> you know tennis like I love sports and would do anything I could um and then at that point of my sailing it kind of started to narrow down and I was really you know sailing was my number one and I was loving the racing I was loving the training um you know we had a great group going through and I was just just working hard and just doing the best I could and and that was yeah that was why I did it. So were you one of these people who would race out of school and head on down to the, the yacht club and just go sailing every afternoon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'd be out till it was dark and <laughs> dark in winter and people wondering where you are and, yeah, for sure. Very cool. So then 2013, you were sailing a 49er FX. Uh, that, I think, was the year, the first year it came in. So why the change from, say, a 420 and a 470 into a, an FX? Yeah, so at that point, um, Ali and I had finished the 420 in the youth classes, and we loved sailing together. We got on really well. We felt like we were really strong racing as a team, and we saw the FX as just being a super exciting boat, and... You know, we'd seen Pete and Blair do really well and Alex and Molly were in the class, could learn a lot from them and, yeah, it just felt like a sort of a natural progression and that was kind of, I guess, the first start of us, um, our Olympic sailing journey and, and trying to chase that, so, yeah. Yeah, well, you achieved some good results over the next two or three years, including a second at a World Cup event in Melbourne a 13th at the 2017 World Championships. Um, but you sort of hit a bit of a speed bump, I guess, in 2017 when you were um, looking around find, trying to find a sailing partner. You even tried the laser radial for a time <laughs> and talked about quitting the sport. You know, what was that period like for you? Yeah, that, that was really tough. Um, I, I knew I definitely had not achieved my sailing goals and I... I absolutely wanted to keep sailing, and but I was sort of struggling to figure out what the right boat was or the right person. Um, and so I actually kind of used it as an opportunity to try, you know, different types of sailing. And I joined the did a, the New Zealand women's match racing team, did a regatta with them, and did a bit of bigger boat sailing. You know, did a, a yacht delivery through the Pacific Islands. I think it was a really a really cool time to try different things and it kind of really made me miss the the Olympic sailing um I just love you know the closeness of the racing the the mates I, I like become the people I become friends with overseas and yeah always trying to push for that that high goal so it, it kind of made me want it even more I think so how did that move into the NACRA 17 come about? Yeah, so during that time, I was actually doing a bit of time in the NACRA anyway with um, 
another Kiwi guy and just because you know I wanted I wanted to go foiling and yeah it was and then kind of I wasn't expecting it but out of nowhere Micah asked me to crew for him because until this point I'd only stared and at first I was like um I'm a helm I don't know if I'm up for crewing but kind of the more I thought about it and then we went for a few sails and I I actually really loved the physical side of the sailing and I kind of thought you know why not give this a shot so yeah me and Micah got into it and had quite a big few months. Was it hard to learn the skills to be a crew and and I guess even physically you know was it hard to to develop um, the strength and, and what you needed in such a short space of time? Yeah I think I was lucky that I'd already been doing quite a bit of physical training anyway so I had a good base but definitely the fine you know skills of crewing I had to learn pretty quickly and you know my hands weren't up for it my forearms weren't up for it they were pretty sore to start with and but I feel like at the end of the day you're you're both sailing you know the same boat with the you're both it both feels the same no matter what position you're in and I think it actually gives Mike and I a bit of an advantage knowing the role of the other person um so yeah you just you have a I think it, it helps your feel of the boat yes in terms of context um Erica went from helm to crew but Micah went from crew to helm yeah um so swapping role have you ever sort of thought about swapping back at any time did you try it out the other way around as well yeah, we, we, you know, we, we swap quite a lot in training just just because we think it's beneficial. And I think at the end of the day, like, Micah's a really talented helm and I, I think that we're best in, this, in these positions. And, yeah, I think having a good understanding of each other's roles is actually going to make us even better. <laughs> So did you feel you would have enough time to earn selection for the Tokyo Olympics? Because I guess at that stage, they were less than 12 months away. Was that the goal? For sure, it was the goal. We, when we set out our campaign at the beginning, you know, the goal was Paris 2024. And, we, and then we started sailing a bit and we're like, you know what, this why are we not like let's give this Tokyo you know every give ourselves every chance possible and we'll just see how we go and so that's what we did and it happened to work out <laughs> it certainly did so you were 19th at the world champs here in Auckland but then 7th at the 2020 world champs in Melbourne only two months later you know, what clicked for you I guess at that Melbourne event I think in those couple of months, we it was a tricky time because it was over the Christmas New Year's break, but we we didn't really have much of a break. We thought, you know, we're going to give this our best shot and, you know, instead of going on holiday, we, we went out training and we were very lucky to have um, Jo come and coach us and she was willing to do the same. And so we had a few particular areas that, we'd, that we wanted to work on after the Auckland Worlds and we really kind of nailed well, nailed those and then come the Geelong regatta we felt 
it, we'd kind of reached the point where we actually felt, finally felt like we knew what we were doing and we felt comfortable in the boat and you weren't having to think so hard about every little manoeuvre. You could actually get your head out and it was a shifty regatta and we loved those conditions. You know, the, the, when you can have a good start and you're free to pick your path and, um, yeah, it all just it all just worked out for us. And I also think the fact of, I guess, being a bit of the underdog and, and not having that pressure on, it just... It felt like we had a lot of freedom, and yeah, we raced really well. What did it do for you as a combination, and I guess in terms of your confidence levels? Oh, it was massive. <laughs> like, suddenly we felt like we were racing, you know, near the front of the fleet, and that's kind of exactly what we needed, and it, and it helped fuel the fire, I think, going forward. So that was a, a key result for you, and. and earning selection for the Olympics and we talked previously about how you got that and then it was postponed uh, and then we learned earlier this year that you're definitely going ahead but only five weeks before uh, the Olympics before your first race uh, disaster struck and you fractured a bone in your leg what happened yeah that was <laughs> that was an interesting turn of events so I basically came off the boat and got hit by the rudder Joe pulled me out of the water and at the time I kind of like it was sore but I thought that it was just I'd been hit by the rudder before and I thought it was just going to be bruised like quite bad bruising and then we went to the hospital and until then the Australians had given us this inflatable moon boot so I'd had my my leg in an inflatable moon boot and it was compressed with my wetsuit in there as well. So it was very compressed and the swelling hadn't started. And then I basically took it off at the hospital and my foot just went and like exploded and went just swelled up a lot. And I was thinking, this isn't good. And then got the results from the x-ray and yeah, I'd broken my fibula. So that was a massive shock when they told me it was incredibly heartbreaking at the time I didn't know what it meant all I knew was that it was five weeks until the start of the Olympics and traditionally it takes six weeks to heal a bone so I think I was very I had a great uh, surgeon who, who talked to me or the orthopedic surgeon and he said I know it doesn't sound good but don't give up hope and I guess I kind of clung on to that and then talked with our medical team back home and basically started the process of how can we get this fixed as quickly as possible and give ourselves the best chance even though the chance may be low. Just take you back to that day in the hospital and, and the heartbreak that you talked about and being part of a team you know it, as an individual you know it's probably easier to compartmentalize and, and, and accept was it more difficult being part of a team and being a critical member and and perhaps that oh, yeah. could have been the end of your Olympics. I think, like, I was I was sad, but my heart was, like, breaking for Micah because this was, you know, this is our, our dream and our Olympics, and that was kind of all I could think about. Um, I think I was really lucky that, you know, I had Micah and Joe there as support at the hospital and also my boyfriend Matt was there who who was actually there coaching at the time. So I had a great support team around me and we were also very lucky that um, Jack Honey flew over from New Zealand and trained with Micah because this was in Malulabar in Australia where we were 
training with the Australian team, so they were still working really hard on the water, you know, with the goal of, of Tokyo, and, and I was just doing my all to get better. <laughs> when did you start thinking that you actually might be able to make it? Um, so, basically, I got back to New Zealand, and then I'm, the, there was potential for surgery, and I'd, I'd seen a, a few surgeons, and I had heard that my highest chance of recovery was if I got surgery. And then I got told by these surgeons that you can't actually have surgery because you've got an open wound, and it's not healthy. And so there was a chance of getting a bone infection, and that totally crushed me. And, yeah, so I... But then, so I had about a day of just being very emotional. <laughs> and then the next day, I was like okay, it doesn't matter, now, you know, this is the path, I'm going to do this the natural way, like, by sucking a holo, <laughs> I did a bit of research, I had the most amazing physio, and my improvements were massive, like, you could see them every day, and I was in a moon boot instead of a cast, so I, even though my leg was broken, I would still get it out and wiggle my toes, and get sensations on my feet so I never lost the um, like the feeling and so that the rehabilitation process once I could actually use my leg again would be a lot quicker and it was kind of it was it was still on edge like <laughs> like every week leading up to it was still you know okay I'm on I'm on crutches okay now I can wait there like a tiny bit and then by the time I actually went to the Olympics I was in the wheelchair going through the airport and I could only walk for like small periods of time so it was still very much on edge right until the the last kind of week or so when I I could actually get back on the boat and then yeah but in my mind like apart from that one day I was never in doubt like I was going to be there yeah so you mentioned Waisaki Naholo so did you try the um the banana leaves wrapped around the injury. Wasaki Hinaholo, for those listening, uh, the All Black who has suffered a similar injury to you on the eve of the Rugby World Cup. And he made a miraculous recovery as well to take his place in that World Cup. So, yeah, did you try things like the, the banana leaves or any sort of yeah. traditional methods? I tried everything. <laughs> I, you know, had herbal creams to put on it. I had acupuncture. I used a shakti mat. I did meditation, like I did physio, I did, um, I basically did everything I could think of and ev everything anyone would recommend, I'd just be like, yep, okay, let's do it. <laughs> did that make it easier to accept it and, and it's like you've done everything you can if, and if the worst had happened and you couldn't make it, at least you tried everything, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, but yeah, like I said earlier, in my mind, like I was never in doubt, like I would be on that start line. So <laughs> I think... Yeah, the mental part is also probably a big component. Yeah. So I remember that um, that day flying to Tokyo and you were in the wheelchair being <laughs> wheeled around the airport. You know, and we were only a week, 10 days from, from competition. It, it's quite a weird sight to see an Olympian in a wheelchair on their way to the Olympics. <laughs> yeah, it's, I got a few weird looks, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what was that first day like back at training, back on that boat? It was very exciting the first day because it was beautiful, light winds. 
I took it really easy, had a really quick session, and then, you know, I felt really good after sailing. I mean, it was, it was, it was sore, but I felt like, you know, I'm going to be able to do this. And then the next day it was reasonably fresh, <laughs> quite wavy, and then I was like, it was really hard. <laughs> Just, you know, not having the movement that I was used to. Um, and, yeah, it was quite sore crossing the boat and all that. So, but the really cool thing over there is, that, you know, it literally got better every day on the water. And my physio fee was so amazing. And every day she'd challenge me with more exercises. And, yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> Were you nervous that just before that first one, you know, that you could, it wasn't going to be right or you could do more damage or anything like that? No, I knew that it wouldn't do more damage. Like, the bone itself had knitted and it would be, yes, it would be sore, but it wouldn't do any damage. So I kind of was comfortable with the fact that it was going to be, it didn't matter. Yeah. If it didn't matter if it hurt. <laughs> what sort of reaction, though, did you get? in the boat park when people saw you all kitted up and ready to go sailing? Yeah, there was a lot of surprise because <laughs> the first, you know, couple of days I was on cr crutches and then suddenly I was out sailing <laughs> and they were like, what? But I guess that's the good thing of being on a trapeze is actually a lot of your weight's taken through the trapeze wire as well. So it wasn't like I was spending hours, hours and hours on my feet. So it was, it was a highly restrictive Olympics, you know, with various COVID measures in place and, and the New Zealand team operating in a bubble. You know, what sort of experience was it like for you, you know, for someone who had dreamed about competing at an Olympics, you know, from your earlier days? Yeah, it was, it's definitely different to normal, or from what I've heard is normal because it's my only Olympics, but um, yeah, and I think you know, I would have loved to have been able to mix and mingle with the rest of the, the wider New Zealand Olympic team and athletes from all around the world and stuff. But at the same time, like, it was quite cool being part of a tight New Zealand bubble. We all got really close and spent a lot of time together. Um, yeah, I mean, even though it was not a normal Olympics, it was still very, very special. Yeah. So what about the competition on the water? You know, you finished 12th uh, in the fleet, in the NACRA 17 fleet. So how do you reflect on that? We were definitely a little bit disappointed. It was not where we had aimed to be. Um, and I think because of that, we've now got a real drive going forward. You know, we want we want a medal, we want to win gold in Paris, and that's kind of really fueled the fire we felt like we didn't do it as good as we could have or should have and so yeah now we're just really going to work hard how much of a factor was the broken leg and the lost training and, and and you know the amount of time and focus being on the leg um i would say that there was a number of challenges in, the, in that whole year and the fact of you know not being able to travel as much as we would have liked and regattas leading up to it, breaking, you know, coming home and MIQ and then going to Australia only to break your leg on the first day, it meant a total of about two months not sailing before the Games. And that definitely, definitely, you know, isn't the ideal preparation you have going into an Olympic Games. So I think it, it definitely would have had, or did have an effect, but at the same time I know that there were other factors, like 
that's not the sole factor for our performance. Like we, there was a lot of other things that we didn't do as well. Yeah. So what's it going to take to win that gold medal in Paris? So we've done some really thorough debriefing after Tokyo and, you know, when you look at the NACRA fleet, the first three boats are significantly faster than the rest of the fleet. So it's a, it's very much a speed game for us in trying to, you know, catch up using their techniques and then overtake. So we've got some very sort of clear goals and steps that we need to take to get there. And it's going to require a lot of travelling next year, a lot of time spent overseas, particularly not having a training partner here in New Zealand. So I think it's, you know, we've got a long way to go, but we're also like super motivated and we feel like we've got the tools we need to get there. So your 2022 already looks pretty busy, does it? Yeah. <laughs> as hectic sure as 21? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, how do you balance, I guess, that sale GP and that knacker and, and everything? You know, do you expect you're probably going to be away from home most of next year? Yeah, I think we, I think it will be away a lot next year. That's just the reality if you want to, if you want to do it all. So, you know, I'm very kind of clear where my priorities lie with the Olympics and you know, the cell GP stuff is super exciting and I'll definitely fit it in where I can and be involved with the team. And I also think all the learning in there is helping the Olympic sailing. So, you know, if if, if I find something's going to contribute towards the Olympics, then, you know, absolutely I'll do it. Um, but at the same time, I need to be really, you know, structured in a way that nothing's going to take away from the Olympic sailing. Well, we look forward to seeing how that 2022 goes for you guys it's uh it's hopefully you know the world's opening up and we've got um, an exciting year ahead for all of the so many different ranges and, and um, classes of boats and, and pathways so um, all the best with that but uh, just before you go I um I need your story of your worst wipeout ever oh <laughs> I feel like there's so many I could say from the NACRA because you know any windy day you have wipeouts um but I, I kind of wanted to tell one from when I was in the P class, and I know you always get P class stories, but there's such a great boat for it. And I was in my my first ever P class regatta. It was in North Islands off Torbay, and I was going downwind, and then basically pitch poled and got separated from my boat. And my boat just it just kept going, and I couldn't I couldn't swim after it. And I, I was in the water for it felt like forever, but pre- probably was only you know couple of minutes and I got picked up by this really nice starling sailor who abandoned his race to pick me up and yeah I just thought it was such a great show of sportsmanship and he actually won an award at the regatta for sportsmanship and meanwhile my dad was in one of the rescue ribs and had found my boat (laughs) without me in it and there was a lot of chat over the radio about where is Erica she's she's gone and I was happy on this guy's starling so yeah (laughs) <laughs> and the name of your P? Red Fred, 484. <laughs> Had a, a mind of its own by the sound of it. Um, Absolutely. And I'm sure your dad was like, once he knew you were safe, he was like, yep, that's my girl, she's going to go to the Olympics, huh? <laughs> I don't know about that after that, that show. <laughs> oh, good story to end. Um, so thanks for sharing that one. But um, look, I really appreciate your time today. I know that you've got a lot of commitments um, and including heading out on the water this afternoon. So um, thanks for joining us on Broadreach Radio.
Cool. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, that's it for another episode of Broadreach Radio, and that's it for the year as well. Thanks for tuning in throughout what has been an interesting 2021, and I hope you've enjoyed learning more about many of the great people involved in our sport in this country. We'll be back in the new year, but feel free to send in any feedback or suggestions to michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz. Otherwise, have a safe and happy Christmas and New Year, and see you in 2022.